So I'm going to begin with kind of an interactive quiz of sorts. Um, the psalm that we sang, for the lectionary psalm for this morning, Psalm 49, is a wisdom psalm. It refers to proverbial wisdom. Um, when we were away in Uganda, some of our young people were asking, what, what, what does the proverbial mean? What does that refer to? Um, some of you might recall that conversation. So a few proverbs. Um, just switch over to the computer for a moment. A few different proverbs. See if you can complete them. Uh, there'll be some visual clues. Too many cooks spoil the broth, correct. This one's for Caitlin Stockman in mind. Um, a stitch in time saves nine, yes. Um, a bird in the hand, yes. <laughs> a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And a rolling stone. Gathers no moss, debatable when you look at this cover. Um, and one more. Where there's a will, where there's a will, there's a way, or where there's a will, there's a relative. And this is the situation that we have at the beginning of our gospel reading. Somebody approaches Jesus, asking him to get his fair share of what his inheritance as he sees it. In fact, he commands Jesus, he gives Jesus an instruction. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, whether his claim is legitimate or not, we don't know. If you read back through Luke chapter 12, it's obvious that his request to Jesus has no relation whatsoever to the teaching that Jesus has been delivering to the crowds, where he's talking instead about, for example, in verse 8, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Jesus' focus is not on the material things of the here and now, but that's what this guy seems to be particularly focused on. Where there's a will, there's a relative. Whether or not his father had even died, we don't know, but there's a rather materialistic demand coming here. And Jesus' response, and this wouldn't be a completely unexpected question for somebody in the role of a rabbi to be able to arbitrate over interpretation of the law, so there is a measure of respect for Jesus involved in this, recognizing his authority. But Jesus, in line with his words to Pilate, saying that his kingdom isn't of this world, and towards the end of John's gospel, he says, who made me a judge or an arbitrator between you? And he warns, watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of covetousness. Pleonexia has all these different nuances tied up in it, greed and covetous, seeking things that don't necessarily or aren't necessarily coming to you. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so he begins to tell him this parable, a parable which begins with a rather materialistic person as well. It's interesting to note in verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Who's responsible for the good crop? Is it the man, his hard work? Well, that's probably played some role. But ultimately, we would recognize that the land producing a good crop ultimately depends on God's sustaining activity in the universe, his providence, his provision of the rain, fertile soil, 
all the various factors that are needed. Earthworms, I can remember once hearing a very comprehensive prayer of, of intercession in a church in Donegal where a person even included prayers for the worms in the ground. But they're important. And yet this man isn't somehow glorifying God in response to the wealth that he has. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And what does he do? He thinks to himself, what shall I do? Count all the eyes that appear here and all the me's. In the Greek, there's so many words of me, mu, that it might sound like a cow. But six different eyes, four different me's. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. It's all I, 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 me, 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 no reference to God whatsoever. And then the warning comes in response to all this selfishness, thinking that he has plenty of good things, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, not thinking for a moment to the future. The futility of this is reflected also in the psalm that we sang earlier. It's a psalm of wisdom that refers to those who trust in their wealth, verse 6, and boast of their great riches. Well, what's the futility of that? No man can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. Verse 12, man, despite his riches, does not endure. And we see this happening with the man referred to in Jesus' parable. He's warned that that night he will die. What good is his wealth going to be? The man is described, he's even addressing his soul. He's speaking to, to himself. What does that tell us? He's a miser. And he's also a bit of a hermit. He's living on his own. Maybe he might have people assisting him in the field, but he's keeping all his wealth to himself. There's no reference to a family or other people. Man, despite his riches, does not endure. Verse 12 and verse 14, like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. Verse 16, do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Things that Timothy reflects on, in, or Paul reflects on in his uh, first epistle to Timothy, when he describes how we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, 1 Timothy 6, verse 7. The same chapter in which he warns about how love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The futility of this is reflected also in a, in a poem, which I remember learning when I was in school. Some of you may have heard it. James Shirley's poem dating back from the, the 17th century, Death the Leveller. The glories of our blood and state are shadows, not substantial things. There is no armor against fate. Death lays his icy hands on kings. Scepter and crown must tumble down, and in the dust be equal made with the poor crooked scythe and spade. It's a sobering thought that no matter what wealth somebody has in their life, at the point of death, it counts for nothing. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. 
for he will take nothing with him when he dies. The splendor will not descend with him, though while he lived he counted himself blessed, and men praise you when you prosper. He will not join the generation of his fathers, who will never see the light of life. So it's a sobering thought. If we read on in Luke chapter 12, we have references that are very much parallel to what we encounter in Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus there warns, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, open confession, I love moths. This was one that we encountered in Uganda, an owl moth. Not everybody in our team had exactly the same fascination and love of, of uh, insect life and uh, spiders, etc., millipedes, but anyway. Even one that appeared on the back of the puppet stage. Don't know what species this one was. You can get some pretty impressive moths in, in, our, in Ireland as well. This is a poplar hawk moth. Um, which you can see on my hand there, which uh, a group of us, Maureen Carswell was with us at the time at the Belfast Naturalist Field Club, trapped a, a number of large moths. And this one, a peppered moth. Yes, I do love moths. <laughs> but moths can be destructive if you've encountered the common clothes moth, uh, Tineola baseliella, can wreak havoc, not so much the adult, but the caterpillar at the bottom there, and the feces that are left behind in these little hard white lumps is often the telltale sign that you might have clothes moths or a case-bearing clothes moth where the caterpillar carries around a case of fibres with it. These are destructive. And although a lot of butterfly and moth species are on the decline in the British Isles, these ones don't seem to be. But how much more destructive could a moth potentially be? Well, I discovered this over the past couple of weeks when I was dog-sitting and cat-sitting, and the person who'd been looking after the dog and the cat before me um, related a story of how they encountered some remarkable destructive damage of a moth. Um, oops, just go back, 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 back to get the sound with that again. Yes, thank you. So that is McGonagall Grey. <laughs> McGonagall Grey provides a useful illustration of how moths can cause destructive power. This is McGonagall sitting on the Word of God, showing that she's a, a chaplain's cat. Um, one night there was an almighty crash, and Phil, one of the students who was looking after McGonagall the week before me, came in to find a jug shattered. And McGonagall valiantly trying to catch this intruder um, who was obviously responsible for this damage, obviously not McGonagall. Um, sometimes a cat uh, uh, trying to apprehend a moth could, could cause some of the damage. So a moth you wouldn't think of as being responsible for breaking a large, heavy jug, but obviously McGonagall wasn't responsible. It was the moth's fault. The moth was the intruder. So when we read about storing up treasures in earth, in, uh, treasures in heaven, not on earth. In verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. 
think not just of clothes moths, but even potentially of jugs being destroyed. But is there anything material which cannot be destroyed? Can anybody think of anything which you think is indestructible? Anything material? This is something I used to enjoy asking some of the young people in our youth club in, in Dublin. Well, rust obviously can happen fairly easily to steel. You can think of a metal like gold, which is fairly inert. It's not going to rust. It's not easily oxidized. Even gold can be easily destroyed if you have a, a mix of about three parts in molar ratios, three parts hydrochloric acid to nitric acid, something called aqua regia. That will dissolve gold. Don't try this at home. <laughs> what about diamonds? Diamonds are forever. Or are they? <laughs> Again, don't try this at home, but you could put a diamond in a Bunsen burner and then plunge it into um, pure oxygen in a gas jar, and the diamond will combust. You need to give it a good bit of energy to kick off, but heat from a Bunsen burner is enough, and it is possible to burn a diamond. And you will get carbon dioxide. So, Anything material you can think of is potentially transient. Even diamonds are not necessarily forever. And so, therefore, that's where we can see the wisdom of Psalm 49, the wisdom of Jesus' teaching within this proverb. We don't often see this wisdom in the world, though. Last summer, I was walking down the Lisburn Road, and I happened upon this particular establishment advertising outside. Um, in case you can't read what it says there, nobody exists on purpose, nobody belongs anywhere, everybody's going to die. Come have a beer. <laughs> Do we see echoes in that of the person referred to in Jesus' parable? He's got plenty stored up. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Or again, when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he talks about people who don't have a confidence of belief in the resurrection and just see the futility of life and just think, oh, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If we don't have that hope of an eternal life, then yes, things might seem potentially futile and people might hang on to things that are as transient as beer, never mind diamonds and gold. We have a very different perspective, though, when we look at first, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, which we heard earlier read by Danny and Shannon. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's not something we see now. It's a future hope. James refers to this in his epistle as well. He describes how, or rather John, I should say, John refers to it in his epistle in chapter 3, verse 2. 
He says, dear children, we are God's children now. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It's a future hope of a treasure that is far surpassing anything we can imagine. Again, when Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, chapter 2 so, sorry, chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We as material beings, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I particularly enjoy the saying, age is inevitable. Growing up is optional. <laughs> age is something that no matter how young we are, we're inevitably going to face. And I, when I read these particular verses, I often think of my grandfather. Once when he was nearing death and struggling to breathe with emphysema, he said to my mum, the healing process has begun. And my mum looked at him and thought, how on earth could he be saying that when he was so physically weak and deteriorating? But my grandfather was somebody of remarkable faith, somebody who inspired me greatly in my own faith. And when I read these verses, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, I think of my grandfather. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, as Paul says to the Colossian church. This is the future hope. So despite signs like this, we have something much greater to hope for. I'm not going to talk at great length about some of our experiences in Uganda, but I do want to bring in a few things. We will have a feedback service with Steve later in the year. But there are a few illustrations I would like to bring in. One is to begin with, of course, words that Steve wrote and which Johnny set to music, which put into perspective our understanding of rich, riches and poverty. One thing that an experience that like our team had in Uganda is that although we might have material wealth, sometimes when you see signs like that outside the pub, you can see a great spiritual poverty. And Ian Hart alluded this to, to this in his prayers of intercession. We can see great wealth, however, in terms of how people are valued. One particular person who a number of us will have got to know who've been in, on Fitzroy teams to Uganda, the 19th member of our team this year, link worker um, Justine Magoba. Justine is a remarkable woman, 
remarkable in terms of her diverse talents, remarkable in terms of her vibrant faith, remarkable in terms of her patience, an invaluable member of our team when we were in Uganda. And Justine said something one day which particularly struck me. She referred to the children, the young people that we were working with as VIPs. They are the VIPs, the very important people. Now, often that's not the world standard, seeing value much more in material things or status, the kinds of things that Proverbs, sorry, Psalm 49 is warning us not to be overawed by. But Justine sees the children, the young people, as being the very important people. And the way we tried to build up treasure in heaven through some of our activities there was investing particularly in seeing girls as being valued. Various activities to try and help girls to stay in school. Melanie Gregg, for example, one of our team, produced these beads which could be worn as a bracelet to work through the menstrual cycle. As we described last year, and I know Christine Burnett was doing similar things with the Safara team, we're making sanitary pads so that girls are able to go to school, don't have to stay at home when they start having periods, don't have to feel ashamed in any way. Girls and boys making these together, and these are some of the boys that have made sanitary pads. We asked some of the boys if, he, if they had any sisters, and all of them put up their hands, so we said, oh, well, you could make the sanitary pads potentially if you're a sister. Um, I also at one point said to some of the boys, well, let you into a secret. If you want to really impress a potential girlfriend and let her know how much you care about her and care about her education, you'd really impress her if you made something that would help her to stay in school. And I asked some of the girls who were sitting there, some of the Ugandan girls from Edonieleko Primary School, would you be impressed if a boy gave you something like this? Yes. This is where we see the building up of treasure in heaven, in terms of investment in their education, enabling them to stay in a school in an environment where they continue to hear the gospel. Simple steps, simple things to do, but important things. And it doesn't necessarily require us to, to go to Uganda. People can be involved in the youth work here in Fitzroy, speak to Paul. Also, one of the reasons I particularly asked Danny to, to read this morning is that at the end of August, at Fisherwick, there's going to be a holiday Bible club. People here, if they want to be involved in helping out in that, talk to Danny. There is a good synergy between the youth ministry here at Fitzroy and at Fisherwick. Over the past year, we've benefited greatly from Igor's help at, at Frenzy, who's one of the young people from Fisherwick. And Danny and Paul have worked together in organizing training events for, for youth leaders. So if you want to be involved in that way of trying to build up the kingdom and investing in treasure on, in heaven rather than on earth, talk to Danny afterwards. We sang earlier, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. We sang how we long for God more than gold and silver that only he can satisfy. Why is this? The reason for this is clear from a reading from Colossians. Only in Christ do we have the promise of an eternal treasure. 
Only in him do we have the promise of an eternal treasure, which, as Paul then also says, right into the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 onwards, it's something that far surpasses what he refers to as our light and momentary troubles. And Paul was somebody who faced more than troubles that you might describe as light and momentary, shipwreck, beatings, threatened with assassination. If he refers to that as light and momentary troubles that are far outweighed by the promise of an eternity with God, that is something worth grasping. The rich fool described in this, pro- in the, in this parable doesn't attribute any of his wealth to God at all, and he's warned in the end that his life is going to, die, going to end that evening and his wealth will come to nothing. This is how it will be, Jesus says, with anyone who stores up things for himself but isn't rich towards God. And being rich towards God inevitably involves being generous and sharing with others, not just our material wealth, but also our time. Let us pray. Loving Father, we thank you once more for the many ways in which you have blessed us. the ways we have blessed us with material goods so that none of us here need to be hungry. Help us, Lord, to be generous and willing to share with others, not just with our material wealth, but also with our time, with our fellowship. Help us to be true to those words that we sing, that we desire you more than gold and silver that only you can satisfy, that no material thing that we can imagine really is forever and is indestructible, but you are. And we ask all these things as we pray as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.